which last week we kind of laid a basis for Bible standards. So why standards? Standards, what's the basis for standards? Quiz time. See, see how many of you remember what I preached last week? What's the basis for standards? Okay, the Word of God and what attribute of God? The holiness of God. Holiness is based on the holiness of God. And again, standards are a matter of the heart. Um, <coughs> it's not a, it's not, again, you know, some people look at it as a checklist. It's not a checklist, really. It's a matter of the heart. Uh, it's obedience to the Word of God. It's really, you know, this really, I never really thought this, thought about this much, and I think it was Bobby Mitchell said something about it five or six years ago. A spirit-filled life is simply walking in obedience to, to the Word of God. That's the spirit-filled life. And that's, that's really, uh, you know, living out standards, living with a heart to please God is the spirit-filled life. Um, so tonight, we're going to begin looking at, well, of course, we have what we call standard standard sheet, which are stand, church standards of conduct for workers at Lighthouse Baptist Church. And um, <clears throat> most of you have probably signed one of these at one time or another. You probably don't remember seeing it. It's been a few years ago. So tonight, I've given you each a copy of it. If you want to write on it, as I'm, as we're going through this in the next few weeks, you, you feel free to write. However, I want you to sign at the end. So if you write on it and you want to keep it, I'll give you another copy, okay? So anyway, feel free. It's yours if you want to write on it. And if you need another copy then to sign after we're finished, um, we'll do that. But anyway, I'm going to look at, uh, as we consider, again, uh, think about standards tonight. And, of course, standards are based on the holiness of God. We serve a holy and righteous God, and the Bible, of course, commands us, as we looked last week, to be holy, for I am holy. Uh, so God desires his people to be holy. And my wife and I were talking about this the other day, that, you know, and, and, and she said, it, feel, it seemed like in fundamentalist circles, there's this standard for preachers, and then there's this down here for everyone else. You know, because 1 Timothy chapter 3 lays out standards. Oh, oh, don't forget the deacons have standards too. But everyone else is, you know, down here somewhere. No, those standards that God gives for ministers and deacons are really things that he desires to see in every Christian's life. Um, you know, we're, we're all, we're, we are the body of Christ. I'm not above you. Although I'm the pastor, you know, God has chosen me to be the pastor to lead you. But I'm not really, that doesn't mean I have to be above you or that I am above you. You know, the separation of the church and or the clergy and layman is a Catholic doctrine, not a Baptist one. Uh, so anyway, uh, so these are, these are things that God desires in everyone's life. And of course, the first one tonight uh, and, and I'll read this. It says, Every person who holds a position of spiritual leadership and ministry in Lighthouse Baptist Church is expected to uphold these standards of personal godliness as well as other areas of obedience which become a person who is spirit-filled and dedicated to a being following Christ. 
So as someone who wants to follow the Lord by serving in Lighthouse Baptist Church in an official capacity, I resolve to, and then of course they're listed here tonight, we're going to look at the first one, regularly attend all scheduled church services unless providentially hindered. And I'm going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 to start out, but I'm going to read a verse in Psalm 122 where it says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Uh, and then 1 Timothy 3.15 says, If I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and, found, and ground of the truth. So tonight we'll look at the importance of church attendance. The importance of church attendance. Your church attendance is invaluable in the life of of a child of God. Uh, because of what the Bible teaches and concerning this, and also from experience, uh, and I said this at Calvary a few years ago when I had meetings over there, that I think it's impossible for a child of God to mature into what God desires without faithful attendance to a church, a Bible-preaching church. And all churches are not equal. Um, you know, Billy Graham Association years ago had this motto, you know, you choose the church of your choice. Well, no, you ought not choose the church of your choice. You ought to choose the church of Lord's choice. Not all churches are equal. And, and you know, along with me saying that, let me qualify, I don't want everybody from every other church coming here. I don't want everybody from every other Baptist church coming here. You know, I'm not for... The, the Baptist churches in other towns around closing down, although some of them should, the way they practice and teach, they'd be better off. But um, I'm not for that. I'm not for them. No, I'd like to see them be a more biblical church. We need churches. We need churches. But again, all churches are not equal, and of course we need sound churches. But I'll notice several things tonight as we th- consider this. That, you know, the Bible says here that the church... Is, is, is the, the house of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So it is what we are to build our life on. You, know, you, you build your life on pillars and on truth. And we ought to build our life around the word of God, which is to be taught in the, in the, in the, in the church house. So, first of all, the priority of public worship and I'm going to be looking at a lot of scriptures. In Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17. Of course, in Jeremiah's day, they didn't have the church. They, had, they didn't have churches. They had the temple. But they had something what they called the Sabbath. And Jeremiah 17, verse 19 says, Thus saith the Lord unto me, Go and stand in the gate of the children of the people, whereby the kings of Judah come in, and by the which they go out in all the gates of Jerusalem, and say unto them, Hear ye the word of the Lord, ye kings of Judah, and all, Ju- and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that enter in by these gates. Thus saith the Lord. Notice he says, Kings of Judah and all Judah, and all inhabitants of Judah. It's a, the, the message is the same to all, whether you're a king or whether you're a, a pauper. Thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourselves, and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. 
Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, neither do you any work. But hallow ye the Sabbath day, as I commanded your fathers. But they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their neck stiff, that they might not hear, nor receive instruction. And it shall come to pass, if you diligently hearken unto me, saith the Lord, to bring in no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day, to do no work therein. Then shall there enter into these gates of this city kings and princes sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. And they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the places about Jerusalem, and from the land of Benjamin, from the plain and from the mountains and from the south, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices and meat offerings and incense and bringing sacrifices of praise unto the house of the Lord. But if you will not hearken unto me to hallow the Sabbath day and to not bear a burden, even entering in at the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then will I kindle a fire in the gates thereof, and it shall be devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Now, Jeremiah is telling, you know, the, one of the, the, re, the main reason that God sent them into captivity, according to God, was their not keeping the Sabbath. Now, if you read through the history of Israel, you would say, oh, wait a minute, preacher. They were worshiping idols. They were sacrificing their children to Moloch, and they were doing this, and they were doing that. And they... But it all started with forsaking the Sabbath. You see, honoring the Sabbath or setting aside the Sabbath was a command of God whereby the people demonstrated their honor and their value for God. And once that became, oh, no big deal. It didn't matter. Everything else followed away, fell away as well. And notice here, and, and this is what, this is, you know, if you read through the Jeremiah, book of Jeremiah carefully, there's a lot of other things that are going on under the, under the surface here that Jeremiah does address, but one of the main things he preaches against is their violation of the Sabbath and bringing it into slavery and not honoring the sabbatical year was another thing, but that goes along with the Sabbath keeping. You see, they had not set aside time to serve the Lord. And if you don't set time aside to serve the Lord, you won't. You won't. Now, I know we, you know, there's a lot of debate in places about, and some people call it the Christian Sabbath. We don't have a Christian Sabbath, but we do have the Lord's Day. And Robert Ingersoll said, if we're going to destroy Christianity, we've got to destroy what they call the Lord's Day. You know, our Lord's Day has been pretty much destroyed. There's not, a, there's not a day set aside anymore, even by man, God's people, to honor the Lord. To dedicated to the Lord. Uh, but, we need to, we, but we need to set aside time for the Lord, to worship the Lord. You know, God set an example of setting a day aside for worship. And that's what the Sabbath was for. They went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. In the New Testament, Luke chapter 4, they went to, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. See, this, the Sabbath day 
You know, the Jews made it into something that God never intended it to be. Sort of like the guy that was Hannah and I were witnessing to. We went down to Raleigh that one evening. He was a, he was a, he was becoming a, um, he was joining Judaism. And it was Saturday. We were on visitation. And I wanted to give him some literature. He said, oh, I can't take that. Today's the Sabbath. In other words, he w- his, his rules about the Sabbath day were so strict, he couldn't carry that little leaflet. That was considered work. And we laugh at that, but that's what the Jews made the Sabbath into. That is not what God intended. God intended it to be a day. I mean, think about it. If you had an Old Testament scroll, that means you couldn't carry it to the church, to the synagogue? I mean, that's ridiculous. I'd be like saying, well, Nathan, you can't carry your Bible to church because it's, it's Sunday. You know, you can't work on No, that's ridiculous. No, it's a day that is the point of the day and the purpose of the day is to worship the Lord. That's the emphasis of the day. It doesn't mean you can't cook a meal. It doesn't mean you can't you do something on, the Sabbath, on Sunday. It doesn't mean you can't carry your Bible to church. You know, after all, preaching is work. I mean, you know, so, but the point is, God set a day aside, to de- and, you know, and if we would set a day aside, it demonstrates how highly we value the worship of God. So there needs to be a priority. So the emphasis here I'm trying to make is there needs to be a priority for public worship. We need to make it a priority in our life. We need to make it a priority. Secondly, Notice the, the, the uh, honor of preaching or the sanctification of preaching. In uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.20, the Bible says, And despise not prophesy. Of course, Romans 10.17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And of course, you know, when that was written, people didn't have Bibles. There was no printing presses. Everything was handwritten. So, so the scriptures were not available to, to, to everyone or even to very few. Most times they were just kept at the temple. That was the only ones who had, the scribes and the, and the, and the lawyers, the only ones and that, that had the copies of the scriptures. And, of course, even when you come into the, the, the age of the churches up until the 1500s in the printing press, often the only Bibles in the world were the ones were in the houses of worship. So faith come by hearing, and hearing by the word of God means it comes by preaching. And, of course, preaching needs to be, you know, this is important too, preaching needs to be of sound doctrine. You know, again, we need churches that declare what Paul called the whole counsel of God in Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. And in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, he commanded Titus, who was a preacher, he said, You're to holding fast the faithful word as he bethought, taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. So we need preaching that is of sound doctrine, that, that's teaching the scriptures, uh, what we call expository scriptures, taking a paragraphic time and explaining it. You know, so much preaching today is a lot of stories, a lot of illustrations, and 
and it's just subjects, and that's really what we're doing tonight. This is a subject. We're not doing expository preaching, but we are explaining to you what the value of church attendance. But, but you know, so pulling out a scripture here and a scripture over here and making a point. Or you have points and then make scriptures, put scriptures in to fill it. That's what a lot of preaching is today. No, we need, we need preachers that take a book of the Bible and, ex, and preach through it and explain it. I remember when the, uh, I guess it was at Calvary's 60th, uh, several of the men were given testimony, and Randy, um, huh? Martinez, senior moment, intellectual balloon. Uh, Randy Martino has given his testimony. He said, "He said, uh, being here at Calvary these many years is being it's, it's like being in a Bible college classroom because we've been taught the scriptures line by line, paragraph by paragraph, book by book, and I've got a I've got a a complete uh, expose, if you will." of the meaning of the scriptures. So, so there needs to be an emphasis on the scriptures. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and <clears throat> verse, verse 12 says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceit. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So the preaching ought to edify or build up or mature the saints. That they won't be tossed to and fro. That when they hear something out in the world or see hear something uh, from the TV evangelists on television, they're going to say, you know what, that's not true. He's taking that out of context. Or he's not telling the whole story. Or, you know, as a lot of them do, it's not what they say that's wrong, it's what they don't say that's wrong because they don't preach the whole counts of God. You see... That's the purpose of preaching, is to mature God's saints. And preaching has a way of maturing us. I remember when we were in Maine, there was a man there, and he wasn't, uh, I wouldn't consider him a, a spiritual giant by any stretch of the imagination, but, but um, he went to a, he, and he smoked, not, he didn't smoke when we were there, but he had smoked before, pre- previously, and he said what helped him over it was the most he went to a camp meeting where there was some good preaching. There was preaching, uh, I think, three or four messages a day, and you know, each day, morning, afternoon, and evening. So there were maybe four messages for, for six days. And he said, I quit smoking that week, and I never smoked since. 
The word of God has an effect. The preached word of God has an effect. We are not to despise prophesy. Bob Mitchell wrote an article, and in it he said this, I quote, It's interesting that the opposite of despise not would be to highly honor. We are to esteem preaching, i.e., we are to highly regard preaching. That's what the Bible says. We are to place a premium on Bible preaching as we regard it with pleasure and not with contempt. And, and so, um, you know, we are to give, be respectful. He, he gives some thoughts here about uh, not despising preaching, being respectful. He says, by this I mean that we ought to be well-mannered and reverent during our services. After all, we are the house of God, the church of the living God. The church service is a serious time. It's a time when we as a church meet with God. He says we're to be thoughtful. Uh, don't distract the preacher, which is hard to distract this preacher. Um, uh, things can go on in the auditorium, and I don't, I don't even see it. We're to be thoughtful of the message. We should listen to Bible preaching as if we were listening to the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm not saying the preacher is the same status as Lord Jesus, but it is God's word. Be thoughtful of others during the service. He said, some years ago I was preaching and I heard a clicking noise. And, and I noticed that several people were distracted. He said, finally it struck me somebody was clipping their fingernails. He says, without even thinking, I blurted out, who is clipping their fingernails? He said, I'm sure I embarrassed the woman who was doing it. But he said, I didn't mean to embarrass her. But then again, she shouldn't have been clipping your fingernails. Uh, no, we need to give, give, give honor to the preaching of the word of God. It's the most important part of the church service. Uh, thirdly, we need to give consideration of the New Testament church body. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> now Hebrews 10, in verses 19 to the end of the chapter, is an exhortation to the importance of assembling together. And Hebrews 10, 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God. Now, Timothy, Paul, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, The house of God is the church of the living God. So, and of course, the high priest over the house of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the new and living way to enter in through the veil is through Christ. Uh, this is, of course, he's t picking up on the typology of the temple here and applying it to the New Testament church. He says, Let us draw near, verse 22, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled with, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fire indignation which shall devour the adversaries. And I'm going to stop reading there. But, but the point is, he's making here, it's important that we assemble together, we draw near to God, there's something about, and you know, he talks about it here, entering into the holiest, entering into the place of God's greatest presence on earth. That's his church. What's Revelation tells us? He's walking in the midst of the candlesticks. 
So it's where God's presence, the, the strongest, the greatest presence of God is on earth, is in his churches. It's in his churches. And for us to forsake that is to, as the passage goes on and says, is to trodden underfoot. In other words, we're despising him. We're not honoring him. We're spitting in the face of the spirit of grace and counting the blood of the covenant wherewith he is sanctified and the holy thing. That's why he says if we sin willfully, in other words, if we knowingly neglect God's assembly, we're not given place, just like the Jews. That's what they neglected. They were, you know, when they forsook the Sabbath day, they with it forsook the temple worship. That's what went along with it. They no longer, because they were doing business on the Sabbath day, they weren't bringing their sacrifices to the Sabbath, or to the temple anymore. Instead, they were doing business. Well, maybe they needed money. No, God already told them, I'm the one that can give, has power to, get, to, to, to make you prosper, to give you wealth. It was a lack of trust in God. And so, you know, this is, this is you know, in, in the, the, the church, the assembling together is the place where we provoke one another, we stir one another up, we contend one for another, we consider each other, we observe one another, we help one another. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen says, as, as iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Now, you might say, well, yeah, we all get that, but what about you? I get it too. I get it in Sunday school. Brother Brother Hoyle stepped on my toes last week, and and the week before, you know, uh, no, he, you know, he's a, he's an a, a, an encouragement, and as you all are, an encouragement and challenge to me. Uh, you know, when I get up here and I look out, I, you know, the, the thought comes through my mind before I ever get here. I've got to be prepared. I don't want to give you a Happy Meal. Or a bag of Doritos, as my wife would say. You, know, you expect more than that, and you deserve more than that. So, so you know, we, it is the place where we consider, we observe one another, and, and we ought to, and to encourage one another in growth. It's a place... The, you know, the church is a place where we can come to out of the world, like Asaph said, Psalm 73, remember Asaph? He was, he was bemoaning how bad things in the world, how the wicked prosper and, and all that, and, and they do. You live in the world, and you, if you live out in the world long enough, you're going to be able to say, well, man, I, look at all what I was missing. I mean, these people don't seem to have problems like I do. You just don't really know about them. Uh, you know, but he said, not until I went to the sanctuary, then I understood their end that they were walking on slippery places. So we need to give serious consideration to the New Testament church body, the assembling together. It is a place where God meets with his people like no other. I remember a man years ago telling me, telling me, Oh, on, on Sunday I get up in my airplane and I, I go up and I fly around in the clouds and, and I'm probably closer to God than, than most of you are. Really? No, we draw near to God when we assemble together around his word. 
singing praises to a saint. Fourthly, it's the prayer. It's, it's a place where the prayers of God's saints are offered. Uh, of course, prayer, it, look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> it's a place of corporate prayer and when we come together. Um, Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 says after this manner therefore pray you our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done as it is in heaven as will be done in earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever Amen. Uh, you know, of course, prayer acknowledges his authority. In, in prayer, we all acknowledge his authority over us. But prayer also keeps us from sin. You know, Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so prayer, again, prayer is how we draw nigh to God. It puts us, you will, if you will, in the presence of the power of God. Go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And verse 16. And again we're talking here about corporate prayer. Because you notice he says. Confess your faults one to another. That's not talking about the uh, confessional booth of the Catholic Church. That's just uh, talking about you know, one on one in the house of God. One another, and pray and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a subject, a man like, subject like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly it might not rain in the earth, and it rained not in the earth by the space of three years and six months. He prayed again, the heaven gave rain, the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Uh, Jeremiah 33 3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You know, we, need to, we do need to, we need to pray privately. The Lord commands us that, but we are to pray collectively. You know, the disciples, after they had been threatened, they came back to their company in Acts chapter 4, declared to them the things that the, the Sanhedrin had said to them, and then they prayed, and when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were. They poured out their hearts to the Lord. They prayed together. There was power in that corporate prayer of the men of God. So it is a place of prayer. Uh, it is a place of uh, also of judgment. Uh, you know, there's no judgment in this world, but it is a place where we judge. There's to be judgment in the church. We are judged. In the church. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It's where we judge ourselves. You know when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he, he began to explain the. He explained the Lord's Supper. And then he says. If we would judge ourselves. We should not be judged. Assembling together in the church is a place where we are judged by the word of God 
where we can judge ourselves by God's standard and be conformed to his image. You know, you know think about it. Think about the passages of scripture like Ephesians chapter 5. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and given us uh, himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication or uncleanness or covetousness let not be once named among you as become a saint. So here's some things, child of God, that are not becoming or fitting your profession of faith. So you need to examine your life. That's what Paul's saying. Ephesians, you need to examine your life uh, aligned with these things. You need to uh, examine your homes in light of chapter 5, verse 22, verse 22 to verse, uh, actually chapter 6 through verse 4 of chapter 6. You know, it talks about the husband-wife relationship in chapter 5, and then the children in chapter 6, first four verses. So again, you need to examine or judge yourselves according to the word of God. The church is a place where we can judge ourselves. And determine what is right and what is not right. And you know, we need that. If you get hurt and you can't work, if all you can do is lay in a bed in a hospital, how long does it take before you lose your conditioning? You lose your muscles? I mean, as muscled as some of you young men are, Where's Andrew? I mean, in three, four days, you would be a wimp. <laughs> Literally. You would lose all that conditioning real quick. The same is true in the spiritual realm. If we're not faithfully in, a, in attendance to the house of God, we can lose our conditioning real quick. Because when we go out there in the world, they're conditioning us to them. And we'll soon become like them. But when we come in the house of God, we can examine. We can judge ourselves. It's a place of judgment. That's a good thing. That's a positive thing in our life. And we need that. That's a place where we can direct our focus. Um, you know, again, it's, it's easy to get your focus on earthly responsibilities. In Colossians chapter 3 in verses 1 through 4, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things in the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. See, we need to, we need to assemble together, and the church is a place where we can get our, our focus directed on the things that matter on spiritual things, things with eternal values, not just the temporal. Because if you're like me, when you're out there working, your focus is on your earthly responsibilities. I remember... An evangelist saying one time, he was pastoring and working 60 hours a week. And he said he'd come home Friday evening, trying to get ready for Sunday, and he'd just sit there and stare at the wall. 
trying to change his focus. You can't pastor and work 60 hours a week. There's no way. I mean, you can try, but can't be done effectively. Because too much of your focus is taken on responsibilities of, of providing and not on the things of the Lord and preparing to preach the word of God. So it, it, it directs our focus. Um, and the church, this is the last one I'm going to mention tonight. The church is the body of Christ. And we ought to love the body of Christ. You know, Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And Ephesians 5.25 says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, when we say it's his body, we're not talking about, you know, this. You know, the word body used in this sense, it's not the right article. I got it. For example, body is used this way. Think about Congress. I'm not talking about who's in Congress. Think about our Congress. Um, you don't want to think about that too long. But anyway, uh, the structure of Congress, here's just a quotation of this article. To keep them responsive to the people, we wish we could, House members face re-election every two years, and the entire body, Congress is a body, is elected at the same time. Um, the Senate, the framers envisioned the Senate as a body of statesmen. They're an elected body. The Continental Congress began as a tool to organize against Britain. But because the body, this is a phrase I got off the internet, because, but, but became the body that would discuss the responsibilities of independence. So that body of men, that group, we would say that group of men, this body right here is a church that Christ died for. It is a church, it is a body that Christ loved and gave himself for. And of things... You know, just like the temple in the Old Testament represented God's presence, the New Testament body, or the church, represents is the place where we meet with God's presence. And if, and if the things of the world take, take precedence over faithful church attendance, it shows our priorities. Now, You know, so we need to make you know, church attendance, we need to make it, it needs to be a priority. Now, I feel like I'm talking to the choir here tonight, but you folks are very faithful. But, but we need to make it a consistent priority in our life. Um, you know, I know sometimes work schedules, and, but, but uh, you know, we need to make it a priority. 
you know, there was a there was a guy that I used to work with some that he was always late. Midweek service. But I told him right away, church is tonight, I'm leaving at this time. I don't like leaving late for church. I didn't say that part. I just said, I'm leaving at this time. Uh, but he just would work too late. I mean, was he busy? Yes, he was. But you've got to just make it a priority. Church is important. It's more important. I can trust God to take care of my needs, my employment. I need to put him, make him a priority. So, Church attendance, it is very important. It's not only important where you attend church, but it's important that you faithfully do attend church. Because uh, we need encouragement. We need the spiritual nourishment. Uh, we need the encouragement from the brethren. Um, and and we, need, we need that daily, uh, uh, exam- we need that examination you know, we need to be in the Word of God, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later on. We need to be in the Word of God ourselves daily, but we need that examination or that judgment that we get when we meet together in the house of the Lord uh, every week. So, so regularly attend all scheduled church services less providentially hindered. Uh, it is commanded in the Bible, and uh, we need to endeavor uh, by the grace of God to do it. Praise the Lord for your attendance. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the instruction that we receive from it. And we thank you, Father, for the faithfulness of your people here at Lighthouse Baptist Church uh, to attend uh, to the services and the word of God and, and the ministry of the church here. Father, we just pray that you'd help us just to be faithful. Uh, we live in a world where uh, we see less and less attendance in, in, in church services. But I pray, Father, that you'd help us as your people to see the need and the importance and the priority uh, to, to honor you with our lives uh, by being obedient in this area. And uh, just pray that you would just uh, continue to bless and give us uh, uh, strength to obey you. We pray in Jesus' name.